You are listening to Ready When You Are, the podcast for humans who want to explore different concepts, practices, and their role in our health and wellness. Thank you for tuning in. I am your host, Andrew Hartman. Today on our first ever episode, we have a very special guest joining us, Adrian Van Gool to talk, explore, and muse about learning the language of our bodies. A little bit about Adrienne. She is a registered physiotherapist, certified therapeutic yoga practitioner, leader, mother, wife, healer, and overall amazing human. She practices and, as the owner, runs Van Gool Wellness, a phenomenal multi-service healing space that offers a variety of services from physio to massage therapy and acupuncture, in addition to various wellness workshops. I'm so excited to have Adrian here today for personal reasons. Adrian was so instrumental in my own healing and journey of chronic pain recovery. She was one of the people who was there when I didn't have any other healthcare practitioners. And she's just, she's taught me so much and she's been the biggest support and fan of system. And I'm so grateful and excited to have Adrian here and introduce you all to her. So thank you, Adrian, so much for joining us today. Oh, I'm just so honored that you asked. And um, yeah, hearing your bio read to you, I remember when you said that to me, <laughs> well, hearing your bio read, it is, it is interesting being on this side of things. Uh, but no, I'm just smiling so much. I'm just so grateful that you asked. So thank you. So glad to have you here. I'm ready when you are. Let's do it. We're going to be focusing on learning the language of our body. I want to just straight up ask at the start, Adrian, how, how do we learn the language of our bodies? How does our body speak to us? Oh, great question. Um, I mean, I'm still uncovering this and, and learning this uh, myself personally. Obviously, I feel like I'm, I feel like I regressed a little bit over COVID on, <laughs> on this piece, on many pieces, but, um, and then just in terms of um, working with people to help them learn their own whispers, I find that easier than doing it on myself, um, which is interesting. Um, but how do we do it? I, I think it first starts with coming home to yourself and depending on what people have experienced. Um, you know, levels of trauma, um, just where we're at in stages of being able to sit with ourselves and and be in that, just basically being with ourselves. Um, I think that's the first step. And at first, it's really, really, really uncomfortable. And it's interesting, because I think there's this, um, maybe this misconception of thinking if we're if we're trying to work on growth, we're obviously trying to work towards being, you know, hopefully more healthy and whole the the process of doing that is messy and hard it's not you know sometimes you get to those points doesn't mean it's not worth it but the the end goal of course is to it's an ongoing process is to find those moments of of feeling better and feeling like you can show up more in your your life but the process really starts um with kind of getting real and going under the covers and noticing what's messy and, and then starting to clean up a little bit. And 
not through judging and looking at, oh, what a horrible mess I've made (laughs) in my room, but in, in a way of, wow, you know, loving yourself through it and being kind to yourself through it and being curious and kind as to what you discover. And then that's, that's really the whole process I feel of being able to get to know yourself and each person has different uh, guideposts of how their body speaks to them. And I think it's really just a, my role as a practitioner is just helping people learn tools that maybe help them get more in tune with being still with themselves. And then it's a process and a journey of usually multiple people involved in that process of uncovering, replacing old patterns with maybe more healthier patterns and, um, you know, sort of spoil this, but it's an ongoing process and you'll regress and then you'll go back forward. And it, <laughs> and it's just, it's a beautiful mess. <laughs> and I feel like, uh, it's so true. Like the hardest thing to tell, uh, someone I even find in my own work is, uh, like there's no silver bullet. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and that can be overwhelming because at a point you need a, you know, at at many of those moments, you need a silver bullet, you need something, but it's amazing how, like just even someone today said, it's amazing how the breath has made such a difference in their life. So there may not be one silver bullet, but there's lots of these little tools that actually accumulate over time to be really powerful and really transforming. Um, But it's discovering what that is for each person and, and what's the window in and yeah. I love that because, uh, yeah, I always think of, in, even in my own work that we did, like it was, I was always thinking, okay, this will take a, like a 0.5 off. This will take like a 0.2 off. And this will take like a 0.1 off. And like those builds, mm-hmm. like just these small intentional actions. Yeah. I think that's so important that you mentioned that is those intentional actions. And I think the, the first step, like we talked about sometimes is, is getting still, but I guess maybe even the step before that is, um, you know, valuing yourself enough to ask for help and to, Oof. right. <laughs> That's a truth bomb there. Yeah. Like, and not have to just grit and bear it and push through. I'm not worthy to be well. Um, we may not use those names or those, that language, but at the heart of it, if we value ourselves and our self-worth, we wouldn't let someone we care about go through and not get help, you know? So, but it's interesting what we do to ourselves or how we, we, we it's hard. I know it's hard to ask for help. I'm, that's probably the, one of the hardest steps is because how vulnerable is that? I mean, maybe you can speak more to it. I've been in different situations where it's very vulnerable and, um, and scary. Um, because, well, we might get into this, but you're vulnerable, you're scared at that point, and then to be met with maybe not being believed or a bad uh, experience, that's enough to turn anybody off from um, seeking help again. So then we go to other things that work to numb or distract or cope in in cope the way we we can. I... uh... When you were saying, I was thinking back to like, uh, in one of our first sessions when I was seeing you and I remember like, cause it was like right when COVID opened up and just like my 
back was in knots. And I remember you like wanting to work and you're like, uh, like relax and like, let go. And I remember thinking like, what you're asking of me is impossible. And like, cause it was like, literally, I was like, I had to like, trust you to mm-hmm. like that. Cause just movement was so scary for me, painful. And I remember like having to like, literally trust you that, okay, yes, like uh, you're here. Uh, and that I don't have to hold it all. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there is that. Um, we see that a lot, like the, the pattern to survive of fighting. It shows up in different ways. It's not always like socially combative or, you know, like curmudgeon face. It's often shows up in the body in different ways of I'm having to hold my body in tension because if I let go, I experience a significant amount of pain or I have to hold like this because everything's painful and I just have to keep going to work. I have to keep pushing through, pushing through. So we're holding on psychologically, maybe subconsciously, but we're also holding on physically. And yeah, to your point, a lot of times um, it's the first time that we maybe recognize that we're holding a lot of times people don't recognize that. And then the trust that that takes to, if I let go, what will happen? Am I going to pay for this later? Is this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it is a, a real, that's one of the things that I think it's good to pause for me um, to just acknowledge and, um, you know, be grateful for that trust that people, you know, people, someone entrusting you is a, is a, is a real gift and I think um, as practitioners I think we have to remind ourselves of that and whenever you're working you know with people um, that um, yeah that that that's you know hold that very sacred and and take it you know seriously honor it with the intention that it should be Um, and so being careful with our words too you know sometimes we use um, I'm going off on a tangent here but Sometimes we use language that is kind of um, fear-based unintentionally or language that, um, you know, it maybe isn't understood medically and so it seems scary. Um, Or we talk in the sense of people being fragile. And um, so I'm trying to be more intentional about the language I use and speak more about resiliency and um, not minimizing the issue or the problem, like naming it, but I think we kind of get, um, yeah, I just think we, we need to be more aware of that, of our language, both in the yoga world, um, and when we're working, um, with people. Totally. And even like when you're saying that even the language that we use for ourselves, like when we're healing, like mm-hmm. when we're experiencing mm-hmm. chronic pain, that language uh, we even use with ourselves is so mm-hmm. uh, powerful. Absolutely. You're so right. Like, oh, my back is effed or, oh, I'm like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm broken. You know, this, that stuff, like uh, Jennifer Kane in one of the med- mindful meditation things I did with her, she was saying, um, like when we notice something, like if we're doing a body scan or something, we're sitting, or we're just noticing I'm experiencing a lot of pain right now. It's like, Oh, and, you know, having that moment of pause of, oh, isn't that interesting? I'm still healing. Just even that has a different connotation of, oh, pain again. 
like, oh, isn't that interesting? I'm still healing. And then it turns into a different, it feels different. And people listening might be like, oh my gosh, I'm so not there. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. But when you get to a point where you can have a bit of like more nervous system regulation and you can create more pause, then we can get into retraining like response. Isn't that interesting? I'm still healing. And what do we need to do for ourselves next? But you're right. That language to self, it's um, so important. So important. And so when we're looking, so we're, when we're looking at our listening to our bodies, I love like valuing ourselves enough that like to take that time. uh, And then also just, I like what you'd say about like taking um, pause because often uh, I've seen in my own life and like those that I've worked with of this busyness and this Mm -hmm. like rushingness of like, uh, moving so quickly and like not and pushing past uh what their body is saying and kind of like uh shutting that voice that your body is telling you what to do down yeah yeah that's a re- yeah that's that's a really good point to pick up from there because yeah initially like i mentioned i feel it's almost awareness i guess you could say of like noticing okay what's what our patterns are and then that power in the pause of, okay, we were aware of the pattern. Now, what's, what's my go-to? Mine is being busy and working <laughs> and go, 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 like you said. And, um, and if we're in pain, if we're busy, it's a great way to distract from pain. So it's a great strategy from pain that we often get really um, caught up in. Um, and so a a lot of times, um, what we try and do, or what I try and do is help people slow. So the power and the pause, the noticing, pausing, but then going slow, you know, it's, and you can maybe speak to more of this too, but the intentional, then, then life becomes also more intentional because, um, if you're going slower, we can't do as much in the day. So then the things you do become really intentional and they come really become really potent. And so we're not diluting and doing a bunch of different stuff. That's just, you know, again, running on adrenaline when you're go, 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 you're running on adrenaline, which feels good at the time, but then there's always an evening out somewhere. And so we can't sustain that. And so the pain then might get really bad before bed or, you know, crash on a weekend or weeks down the road. Um, and so, yeah, that, that power in the pause and then cultivating that slow. Because in the slow is when the, you know, our parasympathetic response, our, our rest and digest nervous system thrives in slow. So when we're noticing and we're going a little slower, we'll naturally breathe a little deeper and we'll get into more of a maintenance and reparative phase in our body instead of adding to the mobilization response. Um, maybe we can get more into that in a little bit. I don't wanna maybe go off on a tangent too much, but um, yeah, the going slow initially is often where people need to um, develop a lot of tools in cultivating that. And so, and if we're using like that, the busy, the go, 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 
does that tend to activate our sympathetic nervous system, like the fight or flight? Yeah. So with the, we talked about the parasympathetic being that relaxation response or that, you know, um, uh, safe immobilization. And then when we get into the go, 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 when we're in adrenaline, we are activating that sympathetic nervous system, that stress response. Now, not all mobilization is unsafe or bad, but there's only so much mobilizing we can do. <laughs> there's only so much adrenaline we can work out through before it does start to become um, unsafe. And so even, you know, you've probably experienced this too, like there's like a great, good stress and, and then suddenly the good stress feels like bad stress. <laughs> there's always a point. I love, like, uh, I missed, like, I used to like, yeah, like have so many projects on the go and I loved the high and I loved the rush. Yeah. Uh, I'm just like, yeah, this bang, bang. And, but it wasn't sustainable. And people would tell me like, oh, your body will like tell you if you don't listen to it. And I was like, nah, like not me. And uh, I'm human apparently, just like everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, and I'm trying to get away, this is something I'm learning into too. I'm trying to get away of thinking about good and bad, you know, like this mm -hmm. parasympathetic nervous system also has an immobilization component. It has some qualities that to protect us will like, will faint or will become detached, um, disassociated. So you know, I'm trying to get better at like, um, kind of using a little bit of that polyvagal theory in terms of like, you know, safe mobilization. So like we're creative writing or we're, you know, doing a sporting activity or walk. And then there's also that like unsafe mobilization where we're um, in that fight or flight and we are like adrenaline and, um, you know, the, the stress hormones are circulating through, which have their own effects. But, um, you know, it's just, we're trying, trying not to live in that space. And I think we tend to go on a pendulum from adrenaline, go, 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 this is feeling good. I'm having a good day, less pain, or keeping busy as a strategy to not feel pain, because if I slow down, things get worse, to then unsafe immobilization and we're on the couch for days and really low you know and we tend to swing from extreme to extreme and what I think we can start to do and what I like to do through the yoga therapy piece is get to know our patterns and get to know when we're in the like too much adrenaline going going and when we're in the too low and use some of these tools to help us find that resiliency in switching between safe zones of mobilization and safe zones of immobilization. So like an example of safe immobilization would be, you know, intentional rest, like, you know, maybe it's um, um, not, not all Netflix is intentional rest, but maybe it's like, you know, intentionally like meditating, or maybe it's intentionally like having a nap or, um, you know, drifting off or just staring off or sitting on a bench and just people watching, you know, things that are not involving mobilizing and moving and a lot of mental activity, but you feel safe and you're resting. Um, and I think this is something I want to explore more for myself, but cultivating better, like rest, because my rest often is like on the couch, 
still firing off synapses watching mindless TV and it's not actually filling me up. So um, I think that's a really great thing to work towards personally for me. And I'm going to start to delve a little bit more into this with, with clients, but I don't know. I'm curious, do you have any good uh, um, healthy ways to rest or like, you know, what's, what's good ways to rest? Yeah. Good ways to rest. Well, in the chronic pain world too, like building off what you're talking, like the, um, that busyness and yeah. then that, uh, low activity, uh, there's a term we use like the overdoing underdoing cycle. Um, yes. and I just, I found that was so huge for me, like, because being really busy and then causes a flare up and then I can't do anything and I'm laid out. Um, and then yeah finding that way of, like you said, slowing down, but finding that sustainable rhythm. Um, Healthy ways of rest though. I'm trying. I guess yoga, like restorative yoga, but I'm just thinking of like, if people don't like to meditate or do a restorative yoga, I'm like, what's so reading a book, I guess. I don't know. One of the things I I love to do, because, well, we all know, uh, my, my new fur baby, Vaz, who's just the most adorable mean coon. Uh, I love uh, like lying on my bed and I support myself so that I'm all, all of my body parts are supported and like I'm in a good alignment. And I love like, like closing my eyes and breathing and just petting him and like just being with him. Uh, and I find that like just actually resting. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes I nap, but oftentimes I don't. Like I literally am just breathing. I'm focusing on my breath and just his purrs and his softness. And I know that's something I've randomly stumbled into that is yeah. uh, blissful for me. Yeah, that's a really good point because a lot of this, like for people that aren't into some of the you know traditional ways that I would work with people, but we can like breathing, that's just human. So cultivating some of the breath cues into other things they enjoy. Oh, maybe it's breathing and knitting or yeah. But I think that's something to like really just highlight for people is that this, what, you know, just having people think about what's good rest for them. Sorry, you're going to say something. I, I know someone else, uh, their rest is, uh, Every morning they get a coffee and they go to their, they have a big garden outside and they go and walk around their garden. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just this slow time for them. Uh, yeah, that they just get to soak in their hard work and just get to like actually literally stop and smell the flowers. Like they like literally yeah. do that. And yeah, it's so good. Yeah. And I think that's something we don't, we think it's, as a society less than, you know, we don't, but that's actually that, you know, when working with people with chronic pain, that's the, one of the most important things. That's where we start. How do we rest in a, in a good way? How do we cultivate slow and, and validating that as the work, as opposed to the work being, you know, what we traditionally would like productivity or, how much strength you're building or how far you walk. Like it's, you know, it's measured. It's not even measured. It's just, well, <laughs> and you rest today <laughs> in our sessions like that. I remember that was something I loved because we would celebrate that when I'd be like, I dropped a project or like I, I did like 
this time where like, I really just took it for myself and like how we actually were like, those were goals and we were celebrating that, uh, creating space. Yeah. Yeah. Creating space for you and your healing and to take what you need when you need it. And, you know, I think, and understanding too, that I know not everybody, um, is in a situation where they can choose um, certain things, but I think there's certain um, shifts that we inevitably are sometimes forced to make because of a disability, because of chronic pain. Either we're gonna choose the space or the, the chronic pain is gonna make us choose the space. Um, so, but that is, that's where I think um, we need to do a better job in society um, providing support for people who um, like what we get on disability is nothing. What you get on EI is not a living wage. So somebody that's on a disability has a false choice. They have to choose if they have chronic pain to push through to pay rent and you know to live or they don't. And then what does that mean? They're out of a house. You know, we're not talking about people that are but like below the poverty line, we're talking about middle-class people who have professions who have to make these choices. So I think some people listening think that it's like this far off thing, so, or some people might think that, but it's yeah. maybe not because your listeners are those that have chronic pain, but um, it's, I just want to validate that. I know that it's, it's all of us. It's not. Yeah. And so some people are fortunate in that, you know, maybe they have enough resources or, or, or it's at a time where they haven't acquired um, a lifestyle that was hinging on a full professional wage, mm -hmm. because, you know, sometimes these things hit at different times and we've cultivated a life that, you know, was um, hinging on having a career and suddenly um, they can't do that career and they don't fit here. They don't fit there. And they're in this middle ground of how do I do I sell my house? Like, you know, it's just, um, this happened. I think this is happening more and more with, um, with what's been going on with COVID too, as people's pain has unfortunately been exacerbated. How's that for a downer? Sorry. <laughs> but no, I, it's, I'm so glad you mentioned that because that space, um, in being right where that, like that crossroad of like, what do I do? Because I have this pain, um, and there are these external pressures of finances and like housing creates additional stress, which then further contributes to that chronic pain. Exactly. Yeah. And there's certain things that, so what do we do in that situation? You know, it's, it's hard. It's hard when we don't have the systems in place to support people to take what they need to get well. And so, um, and there's no shortcut through, through getting well when you have chronic pain and our systems don't necessarily validate or understand. Um, well, they don't, our systems, case in point, disability claims are being denied um, because they don't validate people's experiences of pain. Um, so it's, we have a ways to go. And I think the advocacy that you do and that hopefully we all can continue to do will help people gain a better understanding of um, chronic pain and, and how we need to support people because it's not, no one chooses to be in chronic pain and no one wants to stay in pain. 
So let's just get that off the, you know, out of the way here. <laughs> and if anyone has chosen it, they need to make better choices because it's not right. a fun choice. <laughs> right, exactly. And so, okay, let's, you know, let's have that understanding. And now how do we support people to get well when they want to get well? Like, so yeah, it's something that I gets me a little fired up, but um, because I see people doing the work and doing everything they can, and then just things that are out of their control and then left with these tough choices of they're trying to listen to their body. Like we were talking about the come full circle. They're trying to listen to the body and take space, but sometimes they're just not um, able to because of external factors. So then we do what we can and we make strategies around um, how do we cultivate um, a safe space in workspace and how do we energy conserve? And we still can work towards, um, you know, recovery and management, it just might be at a different pace than if we could, you know, control all the variables. So it's not, you know, it's not all bad news. We still can do it. It just might look a little different. And one of the things I think that might be really helpful for the listeners, like when we're talking about this, this space, right, of being in a very just like a difficult time when you're making these decisions and you're feeling bombarded with all these things you have to do and you're kind of pain is uh that finding of safety in our bodies or in our spaces uh it was something that i know when we did like that was huge for me and was something i didn't know that i was lacking was that i wasn't feeling safe and i didn't know how to feel safe and so what do you like what do you think is the importance of finding that safety I think this is the foundation of getting well, because if we're not feeling safe, then we're in a fight or flight response. So it is fundamental. And that's why I think it's so important if, um, keep coming back to the context of working with people, um, but you know, that's why it's so important to have a physical space that feels safe. That's why it's so important, I think, for practitioners, um, and people, I think we all need to be more um, trauma-informed and more aware of, of that safety and how important it is, especially if we know somebody who's experiencing chronic pain. Um, you know, it's not our responsibility necessarily to like regulate somebody's triggers, but um, you know, if we can be aware of something that makes someone feel unsafe and they're important to us, I think that's just a nice thing to do for somebody in your life. <laughs> Just like a common courtesy, like if I knew if you were allergic to nuts, I wouldn't invite you over and give you peanut butter, you know? <laughs> Thank you. You know, like I just wouldn't do that. So if, <laughs> so I think if we think of it in that context, because that's normal, that's socially acceptable, but, um, you know, maybe having the lights dimmer when somebody comes over because they're light sensitive because they're in pain and they have a migraine, that's something that we might scoff at or, well, you know, or, um, changing the way we invite someone to dinner instead of saying like, um, are you coming? Or like peppering, like, I need you here. I thought you were coming at seven. You're not here yet. Where are you? You said seven. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> like, I need you to bring the salad. <laughs> yeah. You said you're going to bring the salad. Where the fuck is salad? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Shaming you about not bringing the salad. Yeah. But no, it's like those types of things um, are not safe because again, that's somebody who experience chronic pain if you're going out that's already um something you've planned your day for probably because you're like okay i'm going out this evening 
I'm going to have to, you know, plan my day around having energy to do that socializing, that's going to take a certain amount of energy output, you, you want to do it, you want to see people, but you know, you're planning around it. And then on top of that, then you're worried about being on time, because they might get upset, and then bringing the right, you know, it's just being aware of what it might be like for somebody who lives with chronic pain, I think is the least we can do. And that is about creating that um, safe psychological space for somebody to physically come to your space. So that's even just the physical space, not even talking about, you know, I have a story on the literally this, that I was uh, two of my really close friends. Now uh, we were growing closer, but it was during COVID when like you could start and we became kind of a COVID family and they invited me over for supper. And it was when my pain was really bad and I was throwing up from the pain. And I remember I was over at their place. We'd done some work. We had a lovely supper. And then I like could tell, like, I was like, oh no, it's happening. Like I'm going to throw up. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking, I was like, what am I going to do? And so I literally, it was winter. I ran outside and I tried to find like, what's the best place to throw up in someone's yard? Cause I was like, do you go to someone's toilet? Like I didn't know like the social protocols and uh, then like just the walk back inside. Like I was just, I like, felt so embarrassed and uh, they were just so lovely. And they were like, it was just somewhere like, oh, like, how are you? Are you okay? Like, is there anything we can, you need? Mm-hmm. Like they made me a ginger tea and they like, uh, we were, yeah. And like, it was just this loving space of, I think on the topic of listening to our bodies mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the way like other people can support to people with chronic pain of just being, like you said, like understanding and open of a life that maybe you're not accustomed to. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, hearing that makes me emotional because how powerful it is, hey, to have just one or two people um, support you and and not shame you mm-hmm. or question, you know? And to, for me, it was like, and to see me, right? To see like, yeah. this is actually what my life is like. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas most people don't see that. And, mm-hmm. but for them to see that into like not only accept it, but like open up. And, and they told me a story about people that they worked with who were just amazing advocates um, and like their own health things that they were doing. And just that mm-hmm. like having a health condition or chronic pain didn't mean I couldn't do great things. That it just yeah. meant the, that journey to there would look differently. Absolutely. That's, that's exactly it. And there is a process of grieving the loss of what you used to be able to do in the way you used to do it, I'm sure. But it's like, doesn't mean that you can't still, like you said, do great things. And, and they created then that, they, they gave you evidence that this is a safe space and we are safe, pe- safe people. So then, you know, what, what a gift too, because now you have a safe place to go to. Because that's such an important thing as you, the world get your world gets smaller with chronic pain. Like there's very few places then that begin to feel safe anymore. So especially social situations. I mean, you probably have heard too and working with people that friends change. And um, it, again, that's a part of grieving too. Talking yeah. about like 
you know, so I think a lot of things just start to feel unsafe in a time when we need the most safety when we're experiencing pain. Yeah, and our body feels unsafe too. Like if we're thinking about like suddenly your their body feels like a battleground. And then like you were talking earlier about the the language we use to self and body. And so it's it's a really profound and powerful experience and hard to do, I think, to come back to body and cultivate um some I mean some people don't get there. There's still parts of their body where they're like, I don't like you, <laughs> <laughs> but at least they can, you know, maybe have a sense of humor about it, or they're, they're just, they're still in their body and they're recognizing that there's parts that they're still not okay with. And I mean, that's a journey, but there's at least some areas that are starting to feel safe again. So sometimes we'll start with a guided meditation where somebody's, you know, I'll say like, where's um, some place in your body that feels, maybe it's your pinky toe. Does that feel safe or does that you know feel comfortable where you could rest your mind and I've even had some people were like no not even there I cannot rest my mind on my body in that case then we go imagine we start to visualize and imagine Mm. what it might feel like to feel safe in your body because when you imagine it it sets off the same nervous system response as if you're actually experiencing it so there's little tricks and tools we can do to help and, and, you know, people might be wondering, why do I have to feel safe in my body to come back to the maintenance and reparative part of our body, to come back into the parasympathetic, to promote healing? Um, and it's, that's really, I think, what the foundation of that getting well journey is. Yeah, when we haven't really, because it's the first episode, dove into it, but also for folks like chronic pain is like a wiring of the brain that's happened over repetition or trauma. And like the way moving forward is that rewiring and Mm -hmm. of doing other things that aren't kind of uh, making those trenches deeper of like those, that connection for chronic pain. And so when you're talking about that visualization, that's so powerful because it's creating those new pathways uh, Mm -hmm. to help kind of weaken that connection of the chronic pain. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The, the neuroplasticity, it's that, you know, adaptability of the nervous system. And it's not that the pain isn't real. But like you said, it, it's a, it's like a, a pattern that was ingrained. And then that nervous system got so used to doing that. And then sometimes it starts to perceive all sensation as pain. So a change in temperature or um, a touch or muscle activity, it all starts to interpret it as pain. And it feeds back into this pain tension loop. Um, and so ways that we can interrupt it are beautiful, like a new task or a novel thing or a new experience or a visualization if we're not at a space where we can move too much yet um, and because that triggers pain. Um, and it's kind of like, um, I was listening to a podcast the other day. It, it like, I think of it too as like exposure therapy. Is that the right term Ooh, in psychology, yeah. you know, yeah. so essentially what we're, we're trying to do to the body systems and to the nervous system. And so, but we have to start with it being safe. It's fundamental. Like I was listening to a podcast with Brene Brown and she's talking to, um, I can't remember her. She, she's a psychologist who does the research on grit. And she was talking about how exposure therapy and how, you know, at first if somebody has a phobia about snakes, you show them a word, just a word written snake s-n you know a-k-e 
And can you look at that? Yes, okay, I can look at that. And then she says, okay. And then we work towards, you know, Google images of snakes. Can you look at that image? You know, it's a similar thing we're trying to do through just experience of life. It's little exposures into things that feel safe. And then we provide evidence for our body systems and for ourselves. Okay, I did that once before. My nervous system needs time to adapt. And then we add, you know, and that's how our world slowly gets bigger. Um, and starts to feel a little safer. Yeah, something uh, building on like that exploring, like getting or improving our space bigger, something that I, um, when I was learning, especially with chronic pain in my training was that uh, like pain doesn't necessarily mean tissue damage. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. uh, that was really powerful because I know that's like a fear off that was a fear of mine was like oh like I don't want to be like causing damage to my body Um, but how like when we have like a healthcare professional like a physiotherapist uh, who can help like uh, ensure right that our movements are safe but like that uh, the importance of bringing that movement in and even though it might hurt that uh, that can be helping rebuild and like release endorphins and help with that journey. Yeah. And I think, yeah, just to that point, I think sometimes in physio in past, we, okay, how do I say this? Some people have had that I've worked with have had, um, bad experiences in terms of um, their pain not be, being validated and it was too, ma- too much, too fast, too soon mm. in terms of trying to progress and do exercise. And so in that sense, it went, it started suddenly movement from the beginning felt unsafe and then it just got into pushing through the same patterns we're not, we're talking about that we don't want. And so you're right. The pain is not necessarily, once we've gone through all the, that screening and processing and ruled out certain things, it's, it's hard to, you know, I'm just trying to imagine this, like it's hard to recognize or maybe come to terms with that stabbing pain that you experience every day is like not actually something wrong with your, you know, mm-hmm. issues, like your spine is aligned there isn't something broken in there there isn't like a torn muscle but your nervous system is telling you that it is and what I often say is is not working properly is the nervous system to what you just said so yes there is something wrong but it's not what the medical system can image and tell you it's your nervous system like you just said like your brain and but your actual synapses and your your, your sensory nervous system, part of your nervous system is, is telling you the wrong thing. It's, it's misinterpreting information. And so, but the way through that is, I think like you, maybe you mentioned this, like when we understand it, it also gives us a sense of control and brings us into a feeling of safety. Oh, this sensation is not a threat. It's, Okay, you know, if you can name it, and then you feel a little bit more safe in it, you know, maybe you don't like it, but you're, you understand it. 
a sense of comfort with it. And then it's okay, how do we move forward from there? How do we start to work with this sensation instead of working against it? And, you know, the sensation being pain, but, you know, oftentimes the strategy is ignore it. And that doesn't give it space either. That's not effective either. Then we're no longer, then we're not connected to body again. So it's that dance of how do we stay in our body, work with this pain, and um, find ways that we can increase, you know, activity, we can, but working with it. I, I don't think it's ever, um, uh, and everybody's pace is different. So, but I think you're right. Like it's, it's that there isn't tissue damage, but still how do we move through that without it exacerbating the pain, without it making it worse and sending us into fight or flight? Yeah. Well, and I definitely like also when I, with my earlier statement, listeners, like I wasn't saying go run a marathon. <laughs> no, Please totally. don't. I'm not saying you are. Yeah, I'm I not saying you are. But I think some physio treatments in the past have done that. Yeah. And maybe not meaning to, but I think I've just, I've seen that with people where, you, you know, it's, I don't know. Yes. Sorry. Well, and but I like, know you weren't saying that, but. Well, and I just, because I remember, uh, like I want to like uh, also help illustrate like how small those movements can be. Like yeah. even for me, it's like making sure every 40 minutes that I just get up and move and then go back down. Like maybe I go and yeah. fill my water glass, but that making sure that I am moving or like, I remember yeah. I started taking this, like I would take like one flight of stairs and then I would take the elevator the rest of the way up. Yeah. Uh, and that was like, it was really small things to yeah. keep my body moving. And uh, it's just, I just learned so much like motion is lotion is what we always say. And like, it's so yeah. true. So true. And having choice in it too. I think <sighs> some of the, um, you know, some of the programs we have have good intentions, but they're like um, recipes, one fits all, one size fits all. And I think like, it's a good foundation, but like you said, like every, you know, doing a flight of stairs was your choice. And that was and keeping moving however you need to keep moving. And, um, you know, sometimes I'll prescribe things. Okay, let's try and increase your walk to this. But being careful to say, like, keep showing up for yourself and trying. Um, but if we don't reach this, you know, end, you know, distance, that's not the point here. I just, you know, like you say, you just want to keep, keep moving in any way that you can and slowly move the needle towards more activity. Um, yeah, because, you know, instead of getting that, like you mentioned, the, um, I'm going to say it wrong, but like the, you know, the doing too much and then crashing the, the overdoing and then underdoing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I think some of our physio programming in the past just promotes overdoing and um, disconnecting from body. So, um, but that's, that's a trip. Yeah. Well, and that's something I really wanted to ask you about too, because I know it's huge and I know that, uh I'm like bearing the lead here but like uh disassociating from your body and just uh like how um powerful and not a good way that that can be 
what, how could someone know if they are like disassociated? Because I think that can be really like when we talk about awareness uh, to know. So how could someone kind of, what are some clues? Yeah, I would say um, if you notice you're having a hard time just sitting still and -hmm. sitting in one spot, you might be disassociating from your body by keeping going by ignoring pain or ignoring this. So I think um, even just um, just from, a, I guess, more of a physical perspective, I see it more and people aren't able to, um, like when I'm, I'm asking them questions about their body and how they're feeling and um, unable to, to tell if something hurts or if that's a stretch or pain, mm-hmm. it's often usually disassociating or unable to feel where they're breathing. So oftentimes you won't know that you're disassociating until you've paused to almost check in, you know, but I I would say that the biggest thing is usually strategies that are numbing out or in terms of, you'd know more about the psychological, psychological aspects of disassociating, but often I feel it's when people are more, they don't feel high, they don't feel low. They're just kind of apathetic almost. Um, uh, in, in their affect when they come in and their presentation too. Um, when nothing really changes how they're doing. Um, so I see it more so when I'm interviewing people and then also when we're getting into the physical movements and um, they're just so used to pushing through, they'll just go right into end range or right to fatigue. And there isn't that those warning signs, like they're, they're, they're there, but they're not um, aware of them. Yeah. And so in that way, I see their body doing things and I'm like, that shouldn't be going that far. <laughs> ask, does that hurt? Oh yeah. Uh, they'll pause. Oh yeah. It does hurt right here. Okay. Well, let's, let's come back. Let's just go to the point where you start to feel a bit of sensation. And then it's that point of, Oh, where do, well, I feel it the whole time. Okay. So we're not going to do that one. You know, <laughs> that's yeah. usually how it's kind of, it's this process of like uncovering. Um, but so how people would tell, I would think would just be pausing. And I know this is going to sound kind of maybe uncomfortable, but being with the pain for a moment and noticing and being curious about it. When do I feel sensation? What eases it? Does anything ease it? Um, where do I feel most comfortable? Oh, I'm often wanting to sit in this specific chair and I always need to sit in that chair. Okay, what is it about that chair? Oh, well, I guess I don't feel as much pain or I feel better in my back. You know, it's, it's being curious about why we do these certain things. Um, and when we don't know why, we might be disassociated from our body. I definitely, I definitely see that in... Uh... Yeah, when like working with people with chronic pain, when yeah, they're saying, uh, yeah, they like the pain is like everywhere, and like they can't identify like when it started that day or um, Mm -hmm. uh, what makes it worse or what makes Mm -hmm. it better. That Mm -hmm. it's just like so constant, um, and that like. And like reiterating back to that gem you gave of like that pausing and listening of how that can help bring us back into our bodies and also learn like, what are those things that uh, I'm doing well that I'm not even realizing that are helping my body and reducing it. 
and that yeah. slowing down can help us learn that. I think that's really like valuable. Yeah. And I think doing that in small doses, like, like you mentioned, like um, it can be too much sometimes to be, if you've been disassociated for so long to then all of a sudden just live in the space of awareness all the time is a lot. So, you know, maybe it's like the homework is um, okay. You know, for a few minutes today, um, notice how you feel when you're in this position, notice how you feel in that position. And just to your point, maybe the emphasis is on what they're doing well or what feels good and then allowing them to have the other strategies that, you know, and, and slowly work towards um, being more present with the body. But there's no question. Sometimes we just have to go and get groceries and we got to push through and stand on that concrete and, <laughs> and know we're going to hurt later, but we can maybe plan our day then that, okay, tomorrow evening I'm getting groceries. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One, I love that. Like, uh, yeah, planning to our body and giving it a break, uh, like yeah. giving it what it needs, like when it says what it needs, like, yeah, listening and giving it what it needs. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's a, that's such a, um, a process, Hey, of like coming back to full circle, what we said at the beginning, like, valuing yourself enough to think about yourself and giving yourself what you need and not just being um having no choice but to lay on the couch because you can't go on but like actually being you know thinking of yourself and what do i need putting yourself first for a little bit it's it's foreign to a lot of people <laughs> and uh and with it i also i also uh, like loving yourself too Mm -hmm. And I remember that was something I would do when I was starting because it was hard for me to like, like you said, like feeling worthy to like take that break or uh, give myself what it needs to rest. Uh, and I remember I just say to myself, like, this is an act of self-love. Yeah. Uh, and I would just like train myself to do it and rethink of like, rather than seeing it as weakness or that it was like a true act of self-love. Uh, and to help myself build that feeling of worthiness and that build that that feeling of trust with myself too. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. You mentioned trust because, um, yeah, when your body's telling you there's pain and there's no tissue damage, like what a betrayal, hey? You yeah. know? <laughs> like what a betrayal. <laughs> you had one job. <laughs> one job like why are you lying to me yeah but no but it's so we start to distrust our body and I think processing through that like and, and it is it's tricky a lot of times it's figuring out what pain is the pain that's like don't do that and what pain is the pain of mm -hmm. like okay this one's safe to go through and it's changing all the time like it's it's a journey for sure yeah. And that's why I think it's so helpful to have perspective and people that can provide that perspective for you when you feel like you're in the trenches and you just, you can't see through the trees or the, what's the saying, the forest or the trees. Yeah. But um, I get where you, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're just so in it. This feels like it's never going away. It's getting worse. And um, I think it's really helpful to have that like team of people or a person in your life that you can like 
call in those times where you don't feel shame about it and where you can just check in like I'm feeling this I just need to say it what's going on you know and then oftentimes they can provide the perspective we need of of you know you've you've had a lot of good days or you've you know you're getting there or what did you do yesterday oh yeah I forgot I did all of that that was beyond what I normally do you know it's just those things when you're in it I like I was eating uh like I eat fast food, which can be like a trigger for folks. Like, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes when we're in it, we, right. We just don't, it's like anything. We don't recognize it. Like, it's like when my husband says to me, Adrian, you're tired. You need to go to bed. And I wake up in the morning and that thing isn't actually a big deal. <laughs> I was just tired. <laughs> <laughs> like a baby. We, <laughs> like, yeah, you know? like a baby. Like I really should learn to self-regulate better. <laughs> uh, well, and I do want to highlight to like the, that power, the power of connection um, and like with chronic pain and being cared for and how it can release neurochemicals um, that help mm. combat um, chronic pain that uh, I'm like isolation is so huge. And that but it's like yet another thing of having to like push against of like to stay open uh, and keep mm-hmm. people in because uh, they're so powerful in our lives and our healing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, aren't we biologically made, neurobiologically made to, to be connected and then our pain isolates us. I, again, it's, it's such, um, interesting is not the right word, but when we're experiencing chronic pain, no wonder it's so hard to get out of it because it isolates us, which goes against getting feeling well. And it creates um, relationship or it interrupts relationships. And suddenly we feel less connected and people feel unsafe, spaces feel unsafe. So in a time when we need the most safety and most connection, these things happen and it works against trying to reduce and manage the chronic pain. So I just want to say to everybody, no wonder it's hard. And so now if we have some of this awareness, we can start to cultivate like a safe people and build that like connection of people that really see us, build a team of health people around you that believe you. Because every time you have to convince someone why you're in pain or why your pain is real, you're having to draw from the reservoir of fight or flight. And it's just, again, going against um, trying to, to be well. And because we're going to have triggers, but if we have more things moving towards feeling safe and more things triggering us less, <laughs> I said it kind of backwards, you know, less things yeah. triggering us, then um, there's less chances of our pain um, going past that tipping point because the change for pain is slow, um, which is so frustrating and hard, but change is still possible. And everybody has a a different ceiling or different potential, but change is possible. Um, And it's, it's just figuring out for each of us, like you said, what do we need? What's, what's the first step? What's the first safe step? Where can we start? And it doesn't have to be this big commitment. It's just where where do we need to start today? I yeah, I think that's uh, 
such a lovely, like a full circle, like you said, of, yeah, like uh, for listeners to like, yeah, think about like listening to their bodies, taking that step of like, what, what's that step? Like, what's that first step? Because the journey's long, but like, uh, take it that one step at a time. Yeah. And something might work for a little bit and then it's not effective. And so then what's the next step? You know, because sometimes we get, we hold on to things that worked at one time and, yeah. and that's okay if it doesn't anymore. Well, I mean, maybe it's not, isn't our choice. It doesn't work anymore, but you know, it, it happens. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with you or, or there's something wrong with that thing or that person. It's just, okay, what's another thing that can help? And, you know, keep exploring your worth, fussing over. I like to say some people are um, in getting comfortable for the relaxation pose at the end. You know, well, we'd fuss over somebody else, getting them comfortable. So let's fuss over ourselves. Like, what do we need to support the head just right? Like, let's fuss over ourselves. Like, I want the, the right person for me to help me. I want, you know, like, let's fuss over ourselves so that we can start to move towards that journey of worthiness and you know if people are toxic in our life you're worth being treated better yeah (laughs) yeah what's that journey you know like and who do we need to get on our team to help us navigate that you know i'm not saying it's easy to boundaries boss boundaries are so hard but yeah um you know just that piece of like i've been starting to say that lately like you're worth fussing over I really like that because, because listeners, you are worth fussing over that you, yeah, you're worth it. Uh, and if you need to put that on loop uh, uh, until you believe it, because uh, you are in chronic pain, chronic pain can sometimes trick us uh, into thinking we're not, um, it can beat us down, but uh, yeah, we can find the people that can help uh, let us lean on them when those times are getting hard. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. That was just, uh, an awesome, just exploration we just did. I'm so grateful to, for all that you shared today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And I always learn and take a lot away from what we discussed too so this was yeah this was fun thanks again thank you so much oh yeah you'll be you'll be coming back for another one we'll have (laughs) uh down the road for sure (laughs) awesome thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of ready when you are Make sure to hit that subscribe button to be notified of upcoming episodes. You can also follow System on Facebook and Instagram through at MySystem to stay up to date on all of our latest offerings. If you are interested in learning about health and wellness coaching, visit our website at System.ca and book a free 30-minute discovery session. No strings attached, just kind of a chat to see kind of maybe how we can help you. Okay, that's it, folks. See you all next time. And remember, we are ready when you are.